You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We've been talking about this whole idea of staying on course for our whole life and our walk with God, right? We've been talking about this for a number of weeks. If you haven't been here and you want to pick up after this on it, you can go to our website and listen to all those studies. But uh, the the point of this is, and I believe this has been true throughout history, but we, you know, we're here, so we want to think about our day. We live in a day when there are a lot of conflicting messages that, that come against what we know the scripture teaches, who the, the very nature of God, that kind of thing. And we, in order to stay on course, we need to be able to recognize that. We need to be able to have a great relationship with God. We need to be intentional about a number of things in order to stay on course with the Lord, not get drawn off, not get what Paul called shipwrecked in our faith and just get stuck someplace by some event in our life. And and so we've been talking through a series of, <clears throat> sorry, a series of things that all of us experience uh, that can, that historically tend to pull Christians out of their walk with God and, and slowly but surely. Remember early in this, uh, we said that, you know, Paul uses this term of faith being shipwrecked, that he knew people whose faith had been shipwrecked. And we tend to think of, or, or if we were in a ship that ran aground on something, it would feel like it happened in in that moment. It would feel like a sudden occurrence. But one of the things we said early on is a shipwreck isn't a sudden occurrence. It is the end of a long trajectory of slowly getting off course and going a direction we're not supposed to go. That we probably, you know, I assume the ship's captain didn't plan on running into the iceberg or didn't plan on running aground, you know. I mean, it didn't set out to do that. It was a slow progression. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. And these verses in 2 Timothy 4, these are, you know, these are really... Uh, you read these verses, people post them a lot. And all of, my, all of my Christian life, these verses have seemed extremely relevant to the day in which we live. And they are. But I think they've been relevant since the Lord spoke them, since the Holy Spirit spoke them, since people wrote these letters down. They've been relevant. And, and in my life, time, it, it, they seem more and more and more relevant. But I noticed that, you know, I want us to look at them in a spiritual context. I want us to look at them from a kingdom perspective. The fact that uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual warfare going on over the lives of people in this earth. And, uh, you know, we need to raise up to that level because what I've noticed over the years is these, these scriptures get posted most when there's a Democrat in the White House by a certain group of people. Then they get posted most by the other group of people when there's a Republican in the White House, okay? This is not about politics. This is not about Republican and Democrat. That, that whole thing is important, but it's way down here compared to people's eternity, what, what Jesus has for people and where they're gonna spend eternity and, and what level of influence 
they're they're having and the and the things that are going on around us that can draw us off. So so let's just read through this. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this from the Amplified Bible, and I'm going to begin in verse one again. This is Paul right at the end of his life talking to Timothy, and he says, "I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus." who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger. This is true to all of us. This is, that's not an instruction just to a minister. This is true. You carry the word of God. You are an official representative. Every Christian is an official representative of Christ in the earth. So he says, preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency. That means don't go to sleep in church. No, it means just don't go to sleep. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Okay, it says do the same thing, whether your message is welcome or unwelcome. We don't gauge our interaction with people by whether it's welcome or unwelcome. We gauge it by what the Lord is leading us to do. All right? Uh, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome, correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Boy, there's an anti-cultural statement. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Now, why would you correct somebody? Because you love them, not because you want to prove them wrong. Okay, so obviously attitudes are important in this. Warn those who sin. Why would you warn somebody? That's not to... That's not to set yourself above somebody. We warn people when we love them and we care for them and we see danger in their lives, right? Right? You guys out there? Warn people. Warn those who sin. Encourage, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. Wow. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will, notice this, accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold. We are, that's, that's very much the day that we're living in, and this is for the church. This is for believers. Are we going to the word to keep growing in God, growing toward maturity? Let him challenge us, let him correct us, let him encourage us, let him warn us, all of those things. Is that why we go to the word? Or do we go to the word based on our own desires? Here's what I want to hear. We have, you know, uh, anyway, we, we just have a, a lot of that going on in the body of Christ right now. People will gravitate toward Someone telling them what they want to hear instead of challenging them to grow. That doesn't have to be a negative thing. Growing is a good thing. Producing fruit is a good thing. That's a good life, okay? But we, we need to realize that, you know, we have this, there's this tendency that goes on where people are gathering. And, and here's how it goes on a more local level is the, or personal level, the word will rise up whether that's in your time with the Lord or whether that's when you're hearing somebody teach or whatever it is, a friend comes to you and, and you have a discussion and the word challenges something that you want to do 
But the word challenges that. The Lord is saying, do this that you didn't really want to do, or don't do this, or drop this attitude, or whatever it is, you know. That, to me, is a good thing. That I love that when God does that, because I'm totally convinced everything he does is for my best. You know, it's for him, it's for the expansion of his kingdom, but it's for my best. He has my best interest at heart. And and so I love that, but not everybody embraces that. And we'll have people that'll, you know, you speak the word over them. Well, they don't want to hear that. So they just start going through friends and acquaintances and looking for a prophetic word that'll that'll say what they want to hear so they don't have to go that direction. All I'm saying this morning is don't be that person, okay? Don't be that person. Embrace what the Lord's bringing into your life. If if it's, you know, if it's difficult, that's okay. That's that's not God's not mad at you. God has your best interest at heart. Whatever it is is to produce more life in you. Can you agree with that this morning? Yeah. So they will it says they will turn their ears away from truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. So those are important verses. And again, yeah, we, I'm, I'm seeing them. You know, people are throwing them up on Facebook like crazy because times are difficult right now. And, and they're very, this is true. This is, we are seeing a lot of this. But we need to take these verses and take them into our hearts and our lives. We need to, as we discuss the things we're going to discuss this morning, it's not so that we can think about somebody else. It's so we can think, okay, Lord, what do you need to do with this in my life, right? So we started last week talking about overcoming betrayal. The work, the, anybody remember what we talked about the week before that? People are looking at notes. That's good. Disappointment. Disappointment. Thank you. Actually, the truth is I didn't remember right then. It escaped my brain. So I had to have somebody tell me. So we talked about disappointment because disappointment will take us down. And that was, we did that teaching. Last week, we talked about betrayal, and, and we got a little short of time, as sometimes happens in here, and, uh, and I felt like, as I kept going back and trying to move on to the next subject this week, I felt absolutely compelled to go back to the scriptures that we left off with last week, because I didn't feel like we did it justice, or that we got everything out of it that we needed to. So, so we're going to go back this morning and look at some of these things and go a little deeper in some of these things that we talked about last week. So we, we laid out uh, five there. We could pull up dozens, I'm sure. But we laid out five areas that we, it's very easy for us to get pulled off course in. First one was disappointment, betrayal, regret. We all, these are things that all of us experience for sure in life. Regret can shipwreck your faith. Loss, having a big loss in your life and offense, okay? And and we said all along that these things kind of mesh together. We're looking at them one-on-one -on -one for teaching purposes. But, you know, for for example, betrayal and offense, okay? Betrayal often produces offense. And so the solution to the, to the two is very much the same. But we said last week that we defined betrayal as a deep violation of your trust, through treachery or disloyalty, and it's usually committed by a close friend or a family member, 
or a companion, a coworker, somebody that you trusted and somebody you should have been able to trust. And that's so often true when betrayal really gets hold of somebody because there are times where we feel betrayed. But when we get a little distance from it, you know, and the Lord has a chance to work in our hearts, we realize, you know, that person didn't set out to be treacherous. That person didn't really set out to betray me. And it's really important with all of these things that we take that time when something occurs in our life that's hurtful or confusing, that we take some time before we react, take some time, get with the Lord, get his perspective on it. So sometimes there's something that happened in our life, but you know, you get a little ways from it. It's like, well, you know, that wasn't an intentional betrayal. That's, you know, I need to think about that a different way. There are other times in our life where somebody genuinely betrays us. And we said last week, we gave a whole list of places in the scripture where the Bible lays out place after place after place after place where people experience genuine betrayal by people who were close to them, people they should have been able to trust, by leaders, by family members, by husbands and wives. So it's something that all of us will experience. And so we need to know how to navigate through it without getting off course, okay? And without getting our hearts hardened. So we said last week that what betrayal, the voice of betrayal, what it tries to say to us is never trust anyone again. Don't give yourself to people like that. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Don't open yourself to betrayal. You live for yourself. This is the voice of betrayal. You you insulate yourself, all right? So the enemy's goal in that is to harden our hearts toward other people, to harden our hearts toward close relationship, to get us to live within some walls, okay? where we do not let people close because sometimes when we let people close, it hurts. There's no getting around that. And yet Jesus called us to live in close relationship with one another. We looked last week at scriptures that showed us that in order for there to be any real exchange between people, there has to be trust there. Uh, he, He told people in his day, the religious leaders in his day, that my word has no place in you because you don't receive me. You don't receive the messenger. You're putting a wall up to the messenger so the word can't get in. All right, well, it's the same thing in any relationship. So we've got to learn how to make ourselves vulnerable in relationship. And we're going to really talk about there's a foundation we can build. that It doesn't mean you'll never be heard again or have an opportunity to be heard again. But there's a foundation that we can approach relationship from. Let me say it this way, that, that, that allows for the best exchange of life and of hearts and of love and all of that back and forth. And, and it, it works both ways. It, it enables us to minister to people who are never going to love us. It allows us to minister to people, to pour into people in a very genuine... I'm not talking about just going out there and trying to cram the gospel down people's throat. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being able to love people and pour into their lives for their best. And, and some of those people will absolutely reject us just like they did Jesus, but we're not going to fall because of that. We're not going to get hard-hearted because of that. We're not going to stop. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so 
there are a lot of people in our day, probably some in this room, probably some uh, watching us online. I think this is an increasing thing, as the, especially with the breakdown of the family in our culture. There are a lot of people who live with what preachers have termed uh, an orphan spirit, okay? In other, in other words, they, they felt abandoned. Maybe a broken marriage, they felt abandoned, okay? Maybe the loss of a, of a parent or a guardian or somebody important in their life, they felt abandoned, they felt rejected. Even if there was no rejection there, they go forward from that place with an insecurity in the heart that tends to color their, how they hear other people talking to them and how they, the, the, what they perceive, the, the view that they perceive other people to have from the, from, of them. Sorry. And, and it can just color their world, okay? And, and so it's a, it's a form of, it, it really is a residual sense of abandonment and betrayal. And a lot of that comes from broken home life, okay? And there's a lot of that out there. And that's not to, that's not to criticize anybody that's on any end of that. It's just a fact. And, and so if that's going on, on the inside of you, then you'll have a certain reaction to people. And, and it'll be more difficult for you. You will have to let the Lord work you through to a place where you can really trust people, where, where you, can, you can really open your heart to be. So this is, what I'm trying to say with that is this is a big issue around us right now. And as we learn this about betrayal, this isn't just for us to, to do better. That's great. But we need to realize, we need to be able to recognize that in people around us because betrayal wants to have a lasting impact on your life. It wants to pull you off course because ultimately it affects trust. And ultimately, when we close off trust in people, we also we harden our hearts. And so we close off trust toward God. And we might be able to stand there and say, no, 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 I trust God, I just don't trust people we're going to talk about that whole dynamic because there's a truth to that and then there's a big fat lie to that where, no, we're just living behind a shield. We, we can, in the Lord, get stronger in who we are in him to where we can come out from behind that wall and we can really love people who are never, never going to love us. And some of them will. Some of them will love you back, and that's a wonderful thing, okay? I don't mean to make it sound like every relationship. You're going to get burned, man. This is going to be... No, but, but those are the ones that pull us off. The people that love us back, uh, we know how to navigate that pretty well, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, so we, we said last week, and I just want to go back into this a bit because this is so important to both... Uh, betrayal and, and in particular offense. And we'll probably hit some of this again in a few weeks. But <clears throat> Jesus here, the, the verses I pulled up, there are lots of them we could have looked at. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is from the Amplified Bible again. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result, man, I just that just hits me every time I read it. Nurturing 
your hurt and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive your trespasses. Now, most people, you know, when we read that in English, it sounds like, okay, by forgiving somebody else, I'm earning God's forgiveness. If I, if I don't forgive somebody else, then he won't forgive me. He'll just refuse. He'll just step back and, and refuse. So, so by forgiving somebody, I'm earning his forgiveness. That's not true. We all know that what Jesus did on the cross paid for sin. All right, paid for our sin. And now that we stand in a place of, the Bible says, if we will believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess that with our mouth, we will be saved. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. The Bible says that his blood actually erased sin. Didn't just cover it like in the Old Testament. It got painted over, but it would show back up the year later. So they'd paint it over again with the blood of a lamb. Well, that was all a picture of what Jesus did. But in the New Testament, it uses a terminology that means it scrubs our life clean of sin. His blood scrubbed it clean so that nobody could find it. The CSI guys could not find the sin that was there that was now, it's not just covered, it's scrubbed clean. So we receive that forgiveness as a free gift, okay? What this is saying, it has to do with what unforgiveness does to our hearts. What this is saying is we are it's like forgiveness, our choosing to forgive somebody else. And we're going to do that. We'll talk about it in a minute by faith. Okay. But we're going to choose to forgive somebody else. It's like we're putting a key in the lock of our heart and we are unlocking the floodgates of forgiveness that's already been provided for us through Jesus. Does that make sense? So we are opening the door of our heart through forgiveness. When we hold unforgiveness toward people, it locks up our heart and we can't receive the forgiveness of God. It is not a a one-way thing. Our heart just doesn't work that way. So it's not a suggestion. You know, that's interesting the way this verse reads. If you forgive, all right? If you forgive, and if you don't. So that's one of those verses that puts some responsibility in our lives, right? I have to choose to forgive, And I can't only do it when I have emotional support. Talk about that in just a minute. But if you forgive others, trespass, and it says they're reckless and willful sins. So this thing comes up a lot of times that, well, if they apologize, then, you know, then I can forgive them. But they haven't apologized. Do you see anything in that verse about them apologizing? I don't see anything in there about them apologizing. But I hear that a lot from people. Well, if they apologize, then I'll think about it. Well, that's not the instruction. And so you're going to keep your heart locked. Well, I, say, I don't say that to condemn you. I say you're going to keep your heart locked. You're going to miss a lot of things from God. You're going to get pulled off course. We have to choose to forgive, and we can do that in his power. He says, it, it's, it says, when we don't forgive, we are nurturing our hurt and anger, and the result is it will interfere with your relationship with God. You can't nurture hurt and anger and not have it interfere. We like to think we can, but we can't. And we've all been there. And it's a battle. A lot of times, it's a battle. I've watched people go through a terrible thing, unjust, unfair, terrible. They didn't see it coming. Nobody saw it coming. They went through it. 
they, they were betrayed, felt betrayed. But after that, in, in the weeks and months after that, in, in trying to help, instead what we saw was people nurturing that hurt. And the way that usually works is you start playing the movie in your head again and again and again of the betrayal of the words that were spoken. But then it'll, it'll start to expand. Pretty soon, it's like, well, there was this other incident that happened six months ago or a year before that. And you know what? I'll bet they were thinking this. I'll bet they were doing, I bet they were plotting such and such. No way to know that. No evidence, honestly, of that. It's just the way, if you start nurturing the hurt and offense, it will, it will expand the movie. And it'll go both directions. It'll go farther into your past. And you'll start picking out other people. I bet they we're doing that. You know what? I've had this happen before. You know what? All those things are in the past. And, and we talked about how Paul said, I'm forgetting those things that are in the past so that I can strain forward to what's ahead and what God has for me, what he's calling me to. And you can't do one without the other. But it'll, it'll also start, that move, you'll start going forward and you'll start into suspicion. You'll start into cynicism. The next person that you maybe start into a relationship with or the next opportunity you have, all of a sudden you're more suspicious than you used to be. That's a violation of trust. That's, a, that's, that's it being harder for you to trust, for your heart to be open and trust. Is this making sense to you? Okay, and we all, we all do this. You know, we all do this. Don't, uh, don't look around at somebody else. Just look straight forward and everything will be fine. Uh, so we want to put that key of forgiving by faith, okay, in, into that heart that might be locked up by betrayal or offense. So here's how we do that, okay, because we need to move on. But here's how we do that. When I'm in that position, and I'm in that position frequently, where I could, you know, either be hurt or offended or betrayed or something along these lines, and I just, you know, I've been doing this a long time, I've just gotten to where I'm not going there. I know my emotions will go there somewhere, but I'm not going there. I'm not going to live my life being miserable about people and relationships and, you know, people coming, people going, all the stuff that happens. I'm just not doing it. I am over it. I am determined to live out my whole life doing it the best that I can to follow after where the Lord's taken me and what he's called me to do and do it with joy. Most preachers, pastors, whatever, ministers in this country today stay in the ministry three to five years and then they're gone. They're, you know, they're working at the gas station. They're doing something, anything else. We're not going there. Just not going to do it. You deal with people enough, you're going to have opportunity to be hurt. It's the way it is. Jesus, you know, we love the promises of God, right? Well, Jesus promised us that if somebody loved, if somebody loved him, they'll love us. If they didn't love him, they won't love us. If they received his teaching, they'll receive ours. If they, do, if they didn't receive his, they won't. He, it was a great promise from the Lord that we can pull, put on our refrigerators and, and quote every day. All right. So we, uh, over in Matthew chapter 18, we're not going to turn there, 
But in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in about, in about verse 21. Well, some of us are going to turn there. But anyway, we're not going to read it together. I love it when I hear you turning in your Bibles, actually. Matthew chapter 18, beginning about verse 21. It's when Peter said to Jesus, you know, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? You know, seven times? And then I can hold a grudge against them. It's not written in our Bibles, but that's what he meant. And Jesus said seven times 70. And then he told this long parable about a guy that was forgiven a debt that he could never possibly pay back. And I was looking at that, uh, the, the scripture there in Matthew says that he was forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. Well, you know, that means nothing to us. That 10,000 talents is 60 million working days wages. It's equivalent to 500 tons of gold. This guy could not work 60 million days in his life, okay? He could not pay the debt. And Jesus compares that debt to our debt of of sin and and separation from God. He compares that to our debt to God that was forgiven us because of what Jesus did for us. Okay, so we all stand in that position. We have been forgiven a debt we can't repay. So how do you forgive by faith? The place you start is remembering what you've been forgiven. Because then he goes, that same guy goes out, right? And there's somebody who owes him a little bit of money and he strangles the guy and sends him to jail. And, you know, I mean, it's, and and so the idea is when we don't forgive somebody the little bit, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it hurts, the truth is, It's a tiny debt compared to the one we've been forgiven. That's just the way it is. And so the place I have to start is always just in remembering, Lord, you have forgiven me and continue to forgive me of so much. I can't hold this grudge against this person. I don't want to. I don't want the effect of it in my life. But, you know, then we'll feel like, well, they have to deserve it. You know, they have to give a sincere apology. There's never a mention of us measuring out our forgiveness based on whether the offense was intentional or not. Or You know, it's not like we can sit there and, and when something happens, uh, you know, well, how much did they intend to do this? And how, you know, and, and weigh all this out and then choose how much we're going to forgive. It just says forgive. He just says, if you forgive, your life will go this way. And if you don't, it'll go this way. Okay, so I have to start. That's where I go personally. As I go back to first in my prayer time, something like that hurts so bad, I go back and say, you know what, Lord, you have forgiven me so much. And in by faith in you, I'm choosing right now to forgive this person. Most of the time at that point, I have no emotional support for that decision. But I chose a long time ago, my emotions are not going to run my decisions. Okay, my decisions are going to lead my emotions. Okay, it's, it's the way we're set up. You make an act of your will. It, you may not feel it right away, but eventually your emotions will go along with that act of your will. So, so with or without emotional support, I decide, okay, I'm going to forgive this person. So I start to pray that and say that. I start to, with the Lord, you know, I start to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust your grace. I trust your ability. I can forgive because you said I can do all things in Christ. You said I can do the same things you've done. You forgave all of us. I can forgive this person. And right there, I'll start specifically to pray, Lord, 
show me their heart from your perspective instead of my perspective. And that's a huge one. If you spend some time with the Lord, he will show you a different picture of that person. We're all, you know, none of us are perfect. And, and he'll start to change your heart toward that person. And when that happens, pretty soon you do have emotional support. You start to feel compassion for somebody who just really reacted badly toward you or acted badly toward you. You start to feel compassion. You start to feel mercy. You can start to pray God's best. You can start to pray for your enemies. You can start to pray his blessing. You can do this. I can do this. But you have to make, you have to make the effort. You can't just go, okay, yeah, I'm going to forgive him, God, and then walk away because your emotions are going to try to get back in charge. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so that's kind of what what I go through. But I choose right there what feelings I'm going to allow to attach themselves to that betrayal or that offense or that hurt, whatever it is. And I choose right there. No, I'm going to go with what you feel toward that person, Lord. So give me that picture. Give me that, help me. And he does. He does. It's, It's actually kind of a it still amazes me to be able to walk through really, really hard things emotionally and come out the other side after a little time and some time, some serious time with God and come out and truly love that person again and want the best for them. This does not mean you go back into relationship with them. It doesn't mean, it's, it's not about that. It's about you getting free. It's about you unlocking that place in your heart. And what forgiveness does is it dethrones that betrayal in your life. It dethrones the betrayer so that they're not going to set your future. If we don't forgive, then they set our future. They set the course of our future. We start acting differently toward the next person. We carry that that anger and that hurt and you know we will nurture it on the inside just what just what we just talked about so you know it's just really important that we actually work through uh forgiving people by faith not by emotion by faith lord i'm trusting you to work this in my heart my heart belongs to you does that make sense to you okay i need to finish this up <laughs> once again we're running out of time so um one of, the, one of the greatest safeguards, I told you that there's a foundation that we can approach relationship and, and ministry and just working with other people from. And it's like a safeguard we build into our lives. And that's to have our sense of identity rooted in who God says we are and who our relationship with him, not how other people uh, perceive us or feel about us. Um, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That word brings there, the fear of man, what is that? That's an insecurity that comes to us from placing too much weight on the opinions of other people. Doesn't mean we should never listen to people again. You don't want to get hard-hearted, but at the same time, uh, you can have this separation in your heart where you know what? Your opinion, if I love you and you love me in particular, your opinion matters to me. I, I'm, I'm up for constructive criticism. I'm up for that kind of thing because I know you care. I know you have my best interest at heart. But as far as a general thing, if, if somebody, uh, if I know I'm following God in something and somebody doesn't like it, I'm not going to let that direct my path. So the insecurity that we feel from that, 
the Bible calls the fear of man. And it's interesting because there where it says the fear of man brings a snare or a trap, right? That word brings means it gives permission for that trap to work in my life. It gives permission. It gives uh, the, the fear of man, the being too reliant on the opinions of others, caring too much about what others think or they might be. I've known people who, I mean, no, people were so supportive to them and loved them, but their mentality, there was, there was a girl back at Believer Center, a good friend of ours, but, but she, there again, came out of a, uh, a broken, real broken situation. And, and she constantly thought that the, she thought about what the, she was on staff at Believer Center, what the congregation was thinking about her. And we'd say, they're probably not thinking about you at all. They're not thinking about any of us. They're thinking about their own lives and what the Lord's doing. And, you know, they're not thinking about you, but it was inner. It was an internal. And it took a long time to work beyond that. But that was a fear of man. And it, and it did. It kind of trapped her. It, it brought her into some, you know, it made things harder than they needed to be. Okay. So we saw over in John chapter two, you still with me? We saw this last week, won't spend a lot of time on it. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It said, Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, right? So things are going well for Jesus here. When they saw the signs that he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in them. In other words, he knew what was in people's hearts. So Jesus was, we can see throughout his ministry, he was committed to people. He was committed to the point of death, to serving people, right? Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people perfectly. Okay, so it's not that he was withdrawn from people, but, but there was a line. And the idea here is he did not derive his sense of self or his confidence about his purpose, about fulfilling the will of his father. He didn't derive all of that from what people thought about him. In this case, people loved what he was doing, but he just kept that part of himself. God, am I okay with you? God, am I doing what you would have me to do? That part, he kept between him and the father. And from that kind of position, when we have, when we derive our sense of self and purpose and value, value is a good word here, we derive that from what God has done for us, what he has said about us. That's where our sense of self should come from. The Lord says you're his children, you're his bride, you're his beloved, you are his chosen, you are, you are called into partnership with him, you're part of his family. I mean, it goes on and on and on. You're chosen, you've been redeemed. Uh, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I mean, all of those in him, in Christ type scriptures speak of who we are in him. That's where our sense of self has to come from. Not from our past, not from our future, not from how, you know, whoever thinks about us. And again, I'm, I hope I'm making this clear. I'm not talking about this, I'm hard, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's not the right attitude. But there's a place there in our hearts that needs to be grounded you know what? On my worst day, when I screw up bad, the Lord doesn't change his feeling about me. He doesn't change the gifts he chose to put in me. He doesn't change the call in my life. He doesn't change any of that. So that establishes me in a place where I can pour into people 
regardless of whether they receive it or don't or reject or don't. There's a real place of strength there that will get you through genuine betrayal. It will get you to the other side. Is this making sense to you? Okay. So let's jump over. This is, we'll wrap up with this. This is so important right here. We see this, Jesus, this just lays out what we're talking about right here so clearly. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Again, this is from the Amplified Bible. John chapter 13, verse 1. And you all know this was right before the Passover meal. This was right the the night before, the night that Jesus would be arrested. And so it says, Now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come, And it was time for him to leave this world and return to the Father. So Jesus knows right where he's at, okay? And it says, Having greatly loved his own who were in the world, he loved them and continuously loves them with his perfect love to the end eternally. The, The phrase is hard to put together. A lot of translations do it differently. But in the Greek, it's it's like he loved them completely. He is about to demonstrate perfect love all the way through the cross and the resurrection and, and all of that. But notice the rest of this. It says, It was during supper when the devil had already put the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. All right, so the thought's already there. Jesus clearly knows Judas is the one that's going to betray him. Jesus knows this person is going to betray one of the people at my table. Okay, is going to betray me to death. And Jesus responds this way, and listen to this wording. He says, so the devil had already put the, the, the betraying Jesus into the heart of Simon, or Judas, Simon's son. That Jesus, and here's how he did it, knowing that the Father had put everything into his hands, and that he had come from God and was now returning to God, Because of that in his heart, he got up from supper, took off his outer robe, and taking a servant's towel, he tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet, wiping them with the towel which was tied around his waist. So what he's sitting at the head of the table, his robe represents who he is and the authority that he has and the position that he holds. And he voluntarily, knowing somebody at the table is going to betray him to death, gets up, takes that off, wraps the the garment of the lowest servant in the house and actually performed. Didn't just dress like it. He performed the duty of the lowest servant in the house to demonstrate what love looks like for us, to demonstrate how that works. But go back, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had put everything into his hands. This particular word for knowing is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means to see, to fully perceive something, and to live in the experience of that or the revelation of that. So in other words, Jesus had this deep internal sense of where he had come from, where he was going, who he was, his relationship with the Father, and that enabled him to love the person that was going to betray him to death the same way he loved everybody else at the table. We can do that too. That is an incredible picture of the love of God. And the Bible says that the love of God's been poured out into our hearts already by the Holy Spirit. It is in there. We don't always tap into it. But what I want to say to you is, so where do we stand in that? Well, 
I can look at where I, who I am today, okay? How, how did I get here? I don't mean here, but, you know, my understanding of my relationship with God, how did I get there? I got there by an act of grace that I had nothing to do with. I received it, but I had nothing to do with it. It was an act of grace performed by Jesus Christ. It was an act of love. That's how I got to be his child. And what's my future look like? It looks like continuing in grace. You know, spending eternity with God, that's by grace. It's nothing. I can't earn it. I, I can't do that. It'd be an offense to God for me to try to earn it. It's all by grace. So my past is an act of grace. My future is an act of grace. Until we get that internally, we can't live from grace. We can't really pour out into people out of grace. And there's just an insulation. There's a foundation that comes from having that kind of viewpoint uh, of who we are, and and we can then, what Jesus does here, I'm going to close with this. He, he sets aside his rightful position in order to take up his God-given responsibility and his God-given position. He sets aside his rightful privilege in order to take up that place of serving. And he can do that because he knows where he came from, where he's going, people accept, people reject, somebody betrays him. It doesn't matter. He's not there. It's so hard to put into English. He's there ministering fully to them, but he's not really there for them. And that's he's there to fulfill the will of his father. Okay, And he does it. And I, I just, man, I've been thinking about that and thinking about that. We, get, we always make a mistake. Our society makes mistakes. Even on a good cause when we exalt rights over responsibilities. Rights include responsibilities. They have to, or else we mess up. And we mess up bad. When it's just about my rights, automatically it's going to be selfish. It's got to be about, I have these rights, and what is the responsibility that I have because I have these rights? Does that make sense to you? Jesus stood up. He took off that robe. He took off his rightful, stood up from his rightful position at the head of the table, and it freaked him out, freaked Peter out. Peter argued with him, of course. He took on that place of a servant. He did that out of an internal, strong, perception of who he was with God. We can forgive people who betray us. We can walk through the next betrayal that's up the road or offense or hurt. We can walk through it, but we got to get established. That means going to the word. That means spending time in those in him scriptures. That means, you know, letting the Holy Spirit work that in us. No arrogance, none of that. We don't deserve any of it, but it's ours. Does this make sense? All right, let's stand up and pray together this morning. I'm going to pray again <clears throat> like we did last week, just that if there's anybody in here this morning that you're, you know, there's, a, there's been a betrayal in the past in your life and it's still got hold of your heart. Hey, you know, we've all been there. No condemnation, but you can be free from it. And so we want to pray over that this morning. We want to pray for the brothers and sisters around us, pray for the people that are, there online this morning, people who will pick this up later and watch it and just believe God for freedom from that, that hold, that hardness that would restrict their lives. So Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. And first of all, we just thank you for the salvation that is ours 
simply by believing that Jesus, you died for our sins. We accept you as Savior and we say it with our mouth. You said that if we believe that Jesus is Lord with our hearts and we confess him as Lord with our mouths, that we will be saved. And so, Lord, that we are just so grateful that you've invited us into your family, that you've called us your children. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have given us. And we do, we live in grace. And Father, we right now pray for one another, for anybody here, anybody online, anybody, Father, that will hear this, that is caught in the snare of betrayal or or the snare of the fear of man. Father, we just, we pray over that right now. And we believe that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We believe that there, Jesus, you came to heal the brokenhearted. You came to heal every, every part of us, physically, emotionally, everything in our soul. You came to bring that healing. You paid the price for it. And right now we accept it and release it to people this morning. And we declare freedom from betrayal, freedom from things that would hold us from the past. We declare it in Jesus' mighty name. And I pray, Father, for a fresh flood of your Holy Spirit into that very place in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, I thank you for freedom from that movie, freedom from the thoughts that plagued them in the middle of the night, the remembrance of what happened. Lord, we we sever that in the name of Jesus and say it has no right to continue to plague them and to direct their future. We declare freedom from bondage in those areas, Lord, and we receive it in Jesus' name. We just ask you to help us, teach us, grow us, help us to become established in who we are in you so that, Lord, we can minister effectively to people. We can share you and your love with people all around us. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Got closer to on time today. It's awesome. Um, so if by chance somebody's here, or even if you're out online uh, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I would just invite you to do that. Come up. Let's pray together after service. Or if you just have questions about what we're teaching or, or about what salvation looks like and that kind of thing, just come up and let's talk about it. Okay. All right. So we're going to be dismissed on the count of three. And then we're going to come back in here about 20 after and have our business meeting. But there are There are lots of goodies out there, so hang out, love on some people, make some friends, okay? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gundison Basin and the world. Amen. Guys, go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.